Luke chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no shirt, no extra shirt, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony, a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. in this series and the series before it and after it is that you guys have a, a simple little mud map in your minds that gives you an overview of the life of Jesus. So he spends 30 odd years in um, a family, he's got four brothers, multiple sisters, mum, dad, Joseph probably dies somewhere before uh, we encounter Jesus in the Gospels. Um, He's uh, a builder or a carpenter, probably traveling around the region a bit. Uh, and then we have this year that we call the year of inauguration. Jesus transitions from somebody's brother, somebody's daughter, somebody who didn't appear to go to rabbinical school, uh, and he becomes this uh, teacher, this miracle worker, and people are asking, what, why, how? Um, and yet there's a, there's a capacity um, there's an ability, there's a persuasiveness about Jesus that begins to build. And then he gets some disciples, right? Um, and, and he starts teaching. Uh, and then we have the series we're in at the moment, the year of popularity. And this is the middle year of Jesus' life. And he spends this year um, all up in the north. And wherever Jesus speaks, he's almost like a rock star now, right? He, he's gathering thousands. Um, why is Jesus so popular? Well, firstly, because he heals. There's no penicillin. There's no uh, Medicare in these days. Uh, and so if you're sick, well, of course, you want to get better. You want your loved one to get better. And it's even more critical because if you don't work, you don't eat. And so um, having a, a father or a son who can go out and work and provide for the family this is a matter of life and death. And so people flock to Jesus to have their loved ones healed or freed from demonic spirits or whatever. Um, and also, Jesus teaches. He teaches with this practical, down-to-earth relevance that intuitively people just go, wow, that, that's, there's something about that. Uh, Jesus is telling stories 
stories about fishing and about gardening and about growing and about vineyards to farmers and fishermen. They understand this stuff. And he's um, teaching, we read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, with an authority that the people are amazed by. Now, again, let me just take you back to the first century, right? In the ancient Near East, there's no telephone, there's no World Wide Web, um, there's no TV, there's no Foxtel. What, what do you do in your spare time? You go and you listen to speakers. Uh, there's travelling speakers who come to town and that is the entertainment, that's the news, that's the ongoing education, that's the stimulation. Um, you persuade people with rhetoric, right? That, that's the currency of culture in the first century and Jesus is that par excellence. And so people are used to going and listen to half-decent speakers and then they hear Jesus and they're amazed. Third, Jesus taps into this hope. The Jews have been living under occupation for something like six of the last 700 years. And there is a sense in which um, the oppression, everybody's living under high taxation, the inequality, the injustice, they're hoping that one day some Messiah, some king is going to return and bring back the good old days, the days where Jerusalem was the center of the universe. And Jesus taps into that hope. And he comes as a king who brings a kingdom. Because that's what kings have. They have kingdoms, right? And so Jesus doesn't turn up just as a prophet or a speaker and then he speaks a little bit and nicks off. He turns up with 12 disciples who stand for the 12 tribes of Israel and Jesus is reconstituting Israel. We got that last week. The kingdom is like a mustard seed that in the year of inauguration, it's small and it's growing, but now it's getting bigger and bigger and lots of people are finding safety and nurture and providence in this fruitful tree. And, and you have this sense that, wow, this, this is a kingdom. This, this, we're part of a movement here. You know, I've got to find out this thing that's kind of... Right? That's why people come. A crowd attracts a crowd. And today's passage is right at the end of the year of popularity. And Jesus is going to send his disciples out, partially to teach them, partially to uh, train them in mission, partially to equip us in mission. But partially it's like a, a last fishing trip up the north. They're going to pull in the nets and say, well, who's actually a part of this kingdom? Right? So this whole middle year has been up the north. Uh, so the Sea of Galilee, you can see it there in the middle of the map, it's about seven times the size of Lake Illawarra or three times the size of Sydney Harbour. It's not huge, right? You can see to the other side of it. doesn't matter where you're standing. And Galilee, well, you know, it's not huge either. You can see it there in reference to the size of the Sea of Galilee. It's about a third the size of the Wollongong LGA, right? And Jesus is spending three years in that vicinity. So people are going to hear. They're going to get to know. Jesus' home base is in Capernaum. He's moved out of mum's place in Nazareth, and he's now living in Peter's place uh, up uh, the top of the Sea of Galilee. Most 
Sundays or Shabbat, Sabbath, the Jews would say, Saturday, he's an itinerant preacher in a synagogue. And there's about, we think, 50-odd synagogues in Galilee. Um, But three times, so the Gospels tell us, Jesus goes on a, a mission tour of Galilee. And this is the beginning of that last time. So let's jump into the text. When Jesus calls the 12 together, he gives them power and authority. He doesn't just say, hey, I've, I've taught you some content. Now I want you to go and, you know, that talk that we've practiced. Um, he says, you have my power and you have my authority. To do what? Notice what comes first. To drive out demons. One of the things I get to do as the senior minister is write position descriptions. Let me tell you, none of my staff have number one on their position description, drive out demons. But Jesus sticks it first. Isn't that astounding? And then cure diseases and then proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. Isn't that grouping fascinating? Um, We tend to think that mission is about giving a gospel presentation, about speaking out a message, and Jesus is proclaiming absolutely and more. And when he empowers his disciples, he says, hey, the way I've done mission, it's my mission, you've got my power, now you go and do it the way I've done it. And you're going to go out and you're going to heal people and you're going to cast out demons, and you're going to proclaim, and you're going to heal the sick. So, I think the point we're meant to pick up here is that the coming of the kingdom is not just giving a gospel talk. Right? It's, the kingdom is spoken, absolutely. It's spoken and it's enacted. It's lived. It's a community who imbibes the kingdom values and message and then goes out and lives and expresses them. Let's read on. This is Matthew's version of Jesus sending out the 12. As you go, proclaim this message. Well, we're more comfortable with that. Proclaim comes first. Um, That's more the way we're used to it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Oh, the stakes are up. That's on nobody's position description either. Um, cleanse those who have... Nor is cleansing people with leprosy, although we might give to the leprosy mission. Um, drive out the demons. Again, we're getting this sense that Jesus' ministry is holistic. And I've tried to capture that in our church's discipleship triangle. Right? So this is a little map about what it means for you to be a disciple following Jesus and what it means for us to be a group of disciples who follow Jesus together as a church. And there's three key things to remember and one in the middle. In, out and up. And today we're looking at out. And notice the wording here. Sharing Jesus in a lost world. Some people in the Gospels are lost. To use some vocab from the Sermon on the Mount, they're on a road to destruction. Or they're trying to build a house on sand. Or they're investing their life in something that thieves can steal and and, um, rust and moths can destroy. They're lost. And it's our job to say to those people, hey, where's that road going? 
Those foundations you're building on, what's going to happen when the storm comes? You know, that, um, that won't last. There are other people in the Gospels who are not initially conscious of their lostness, but who are more overwhelmed by their brokenness. And they need healing. And they need feeding. And they need demons being cast out. And Jesus does that and then speaks. And so the message, the mission that we have here is one of, like Jesus, reaching out to a lost and a broken world. And sometimes we speak and sometimes we give and sometimes we care and sometimes we do all. It depends a little bit on what the needs of the person are that we're reaching out to. Well, that's the first thing we do. Second, Jesus gives his disciples some advice. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Are you glad there's no fundraising trip before this mission trip, right? Um, uh, Whatever house you enter into, stay there until you leave that town. That's not just an accidental detail. Jesus is saying, go and stay at somebody's house and that becomes the home base for mission. What does Jesus do? He goes and stays at Peter's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law, and people come to Peter's house. There's something about a house, a home, and its relational networks and connections with the community around it. Jesus isn't saying, just go to the town and bring a soapbox and stand on that and give a talk, and then after the talk, see who wants to listen to the talk and then leave and go to the next town and give the next... No, um, it's, it's a relational, connected metaphor. You've got to be in partnership, in partnership with the locals who are live and who are entwined into the fabric of that local community. Well, we're going to hear a little bit more about CMS later and this week. And I want to say CMS is committed to partnerships. That there are some kingdom ambassadors who come to a place and then they partner with the locals who are already there. Here's a snapshot from the CMS website. CMS works in fellowship with churches and local Christians to see life proclaimed through Christ around the world We do not set up institutions or organisations overseas. I've been on plenty of mission trips. Let me tell you about one I've been to Cambodia. I've been to a Bible college. There were CMS missionaries, more college graduates, lecturing at this Bible college. You know what it wasn't called? CMS Bible College. right? It, It was called Phnom Penh Bible College. And it was run by Cambodians, or Khmer is what we would call them. And there was a Khmer principle. Uh, Why? Because Khmer understands Khmer. They they get the people, they get the culture, they get the mission. uh, And so it makes sense for those people to be trained to then train and reach out to their people. Um, If you went down the road... There was no CMS orphanage. There was something called the Sunshine Centre that CMS supported. And here's part of what's great about that. When it comes time for CMS 
to step back from Phnom Penh Bible College because now it's got its own staff and it's funding and and self-reproducing. Well, it's very easy to do when it's a national structure. But when CMS owns it, suddenly that gets really cold. There's something very strategic about that particular approach to mission. What about us? What does partnership mean for us in mission? Let me talk about that. And I think I just want to read Matthew's explanation um, of what Jesus says to his disciples. Don't get any gold or silver, no bag for the journey, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at his house until you leave. Some worthy person. What does that mean? Well, let's think through, and um, Matt preached on this a few weeks ago. What happened when Jesus went to Matthew's town? Jesus calls Matthew and he says, hey, come follow me. And what does Matthew do? Matthew says, well, you know what? Jesus, the, the message of hope that you've got. Actually, my tax collector friends need to hear about this message. So what about if I invite my friends back to my house and throw a party and you can come with your friends, the disciples, and we're going to have this party which has got half kingdom people and half non-kingdom people, right? and then they're going to kind of um, interact and share and these people won't only get to hear the kingdom, but they'll get to experience the kingdom. They'll get to see what it's like when a bunch of kingdom people come and inhabit a home. If you uh, follow the mission literature, this has a saying at the moment, right? People call this a person of peace. Go home and Google it if you've never heard this phrase, and you'll find some really cool resources. And um, I'm not saying I agree with everything you're going to find online, but I found this not only a helpful concept, but an accurate one. In my evangelistic efforts, I bump into people who are not only not afraid of me, because I'm like, when you say, oh, I work for a church, I'm a minister, you get really weirded out responses, right? Until every now and then you get somebody who's kind of like, actually, this is kind of cool. And then they're not only open to you and to you talking about Jesus, but they introduce you to their friends. It's amazing. I, I used to cycle a lot in Hobart, right? I did my ACL, so I couldn't play soccer for a while. I got it fixed, so I could play again. But anyway, I cycled for a few years, trying not to play soccer, and I cycled with doctors. Right? They were um, all pretty wealthy. They had expensive bikes. They did a tour with the tour and stayed in chateaus in France. Right? And so a lot of their conversations were about things that I had no experience and no engagement with. And there was one guy, the guy who was kind of the head of the cycling group, and you know what he would do when the conversation for like 10, 15, 20 minutes had been about things that, that I couldn't connect with? He would turn the conversation to God. He was not a Christian. He was a person of peace. He just intuitively had this capacity to invite me into his friendship network. That's how I got to cycle with them. And then made opportunities for me to talk about Jesus to his friends. Astounding. And I want to suggest to you, I think there's something about that strategy. And again, to kind of use some vocab we use in our um, missional pathway, when there is a person of peace in a community, 
they can be an advocate. They can unpack and have the conversations and ask the questions that an advocate does when they're advocating for the kingdom. So that's my Hobart stories. Same happened when I went to Melbourne. I played soccer again and I played tennis and there was a person of peace in both of those teams. And in my tennis team, a few people came to faith um, because of the person of peace opening up doors. So partnerships, I think, are a very strategic way to do mission. Third thing, Jesus says this to his disciples. If people don't welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is a kind of a first century Jewish thing, right? Where if you're a Pharisee or a devout Jew or a teacher of the law and you happen to pass through a region and there's some non-kosher people there, you've got to even wipe the dust off you so that you're not made unclean by them. That's kind of sounding awkward and judgmental and arrogant, isn't it? And this is not me preaching yet, right? This This is Jesus' words. He's actually referencing that particular practice and saying to his disciples, there's something in that. There actually comes a point where you've got to disassociate yourself from some people. Wow, what do we do with that? Well, Jesus is, his ministry and mission is unique in the sense that he is calling Israel to be Israel in a once-for-all type of way, right? But here's what I do with this in my settings. I'm conscious that there are some people I try and interact with, get to know, and you know what? It, it just doesn't work. And, and here's what I say to myself. You know what? You need God. You don't particularly know you need God. Whatever the deal is, now is not the time where you're open to Jesus and I don't appear to be the person who's going to introduce you to Jesus. And if it's the wrong time and if I'm the wrong person, then I'm just going to move on and find somebody else and maybe it's the right time and I'm the right person for them. I'm hoping, I'm praying that somebody else will be the right person at the right time, but my sense is it's not me. Are you feeling liberated? Is there somebody in your life who you have this sense of duty and obligation and you think to yourself, it's my job to convert them and bring them into the kingdom? And I'm suggesting, Jesus is suggesting to you, maybe you're not that person. Maybe you're not that voice in your life, in their life. I just want to ask, Spirit, that you would just reveal to people if there's somebody who they're not meant to be that voice, just give them a picture of who that person might be. It's okay. God's kingdom will grow. There might be some other person, some other place, but Jesus says there actually comes a time where we need to dust our feet. Let me also say what I'm not saying, what I don't think Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to the 12, hey, we're going on a mission 
to these places that aren't your hometown and your family doesn't live in this town, you can leave that town. By extension, I'm not asking you, and I don't think Jesus is asking you, to stop having concerns and prayers for your family, for your children, for your sister, you know, for the loved friend that you've done life with. I'm not saying ditch them. Dust your feet of them. I don't think Jesus is asking us to do that. I think it's a different approach with them, right? Just stay faithful and try and wait for a disruption in their life. Okay, so that's what I'm not saying. What am I saying or what do I think Jesus is saying here? Well, that's a little bit more complex, but I, I need to have a crack at this, right? There actually does come a time where we need to say, you know what? I'm not sure this is the time, this is the place. We've tried this. It doesn't seem to be working. It might be time. Things have changed. Things have moved. It might be time to try something new. Let me give you one example of where I think it might be time for us as a church to try something new. This is a graph from the ABS about school attendance in Australia in 2021. And what it shows, if you can't read it, is that from 2001 to 2021, the group of students who are attending government schools has dropped from almost 70% to about 65%. It's a long-term trend. People choosing to attend or their parents choosing to send them to government schools is in decline. There are now more than one in three kids who attend a non-government school for their education. Who are we teaching scripture to? No one in a non-government school. And then probably half or less than half of the kids in the government school because they can opt out now. In fact, you actually have to opt in. But let's put that to the side. There are more than one-third of the students in schools who we're not reaching out to. And what's changed here is a social trend. What is not going on here is that there are mass conversions in Australia and there's a whole bunch of new Christians who suddenly want to send their kids to Christian schools. That's not happening, right? Um, churches are on the nose, youth groups are on the nose, but non-Christians appear happier than ever to send their children to Christian schools. Isn't that odd? And there's an opportunity for us to partner with Christian schools and somehow... Um, share Jesus to the lost and the broken in non-government schools. Now, does that mean I think state schools are the old and we should brush our teeth and feet and leave the state? I'm not saying that. You should brush your teeth. Um, I've been to two primary school principals in the last month. I went to the launch of the scripture teachers. Um, I'm going to buy some hot cross buns when that comes. Right. I, I'm all in favour of state scripture. But there's another group who we're not currently reaching. If you really pushed me and said, Dave, we can't reach everyone, who do you think we should prioritise? Is it the government schools or is it the non-government schools? Here's my answer. I don't quite like the way the question's framed. 
But if I had to choose... Yeah, I know I framed the questions. <laughs> if I had to choose, I would choose the school where our youth are who are people of peace. I would choose the schools where our youth are who are people of peace. I think, I'm, I, I haven't checked with Jamie, but I think the youth who has brought the most friends to youth group this year attends Calderwood Christian School. And we're not partnering with him in making it easy for him to bring his friends to our youth group. And I think that's the new that we need to work out how to lean into and embrace. All right. Boy, will I get some emails this week. Uh, now, Herod the Tetrarch heard all about this. What happens when you go out on mission, right? Jesus warns his disciples. Herod the Tetrarch heard all about that, what was going on. About what? About this kingdom that's growing. About this movement. About this guy who heals people. And people think that there's some kind of a, a new beginning. There's a potentially a political uprising, right? He's going to get nervous. He was perplexed. Some people are saying, well, John the Baptist, but he, he's been beheaded. Some people are saying Elijah, because, of course, Elijah doesn't die. He gets taken up to heaven. Still others, one of the prophets. See, people don't understand what's happening. And they have attempts at trying to understand, but they get it wrong. They misunderstand. Here's Matthew's account of what Jesus says to his disciples. I'm sending you out like sheep amongst the wolves. This mission, it's not like everybody's going to go, wow, that's the truth. That's unbelievable. Thank you for telling us. How do we sign up? Actually, some people are going to be like wolves. You'll be in danger. You'll be afraid. So be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And here Jesus prophesies a little bit. And he says, uh, you'll be handed over to local councils and flogged. That happens, of course, after Jesus dies. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. What Jesus is saying here is that when you go on mission, expect misunderstanding and opposition. And as our culture transitions away from its Christian heritage, we will encounter even more opposition and misunderstanding. You people are judgmental, you're arrogant, you're self-righteous. You think you know better than us. You want to tell us what we're supposed to do. Uh, we, we are already getting more and more of this, aren't we? None of this means we don't practice mission. We're still going out with Jesus' power and Jesus' authority telling his message. Lastly, you could have the impression so far that because Jesus is sending out the 12... Because Matt sent out Luke or Lucas, or whatever his name is, um, this is something the staff are supposed to do. Let me take you back to one of the previous mission trips in the Gospels. This is a chapter earlier. After this, Jesus travelled around from one town to village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and so were some women. Mary, called Magdalene, there was a village called Magdala, so she's from there. There's that relational connection again. Um, she had seven demons. Joanna, 
the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Wow, friends in high places. And many others, listen to what the women do, the women were helping support them out of their own means. These are wealthy, influential women who are bankrolling the mission. This is not just a male, paid staff, mission or ministry. It's all of us who are all enacting the kingdom together. And whether you've got resources or whether you've got relational connections or whether you've got influence or whether you've got time or whether you've got the gift of compassion or the gift of healing or whether you're great with whatever it is, we all bring this to the table and then all together we enact the mission. Right? We are not just speaking uh, or, or preaching a particular message. We're actually ambassadors of a kingdom who submit ourselves under the reign of Christ and live his way as an outpost of his kingdom and that is a light to the nations and some people will be put off by that some people will misunderstand us and judge us and a few will be compelled and will find it persuasive and appealing and will be drawn But hey, it's not up to us. And it doesn't really matter what the ratios are. Jesus has asked us to do this. And he's given us his power and authority to do it. And he's asked us to do it here in DAPTO. And he's asked us to partner with other people who are going to plant other mission outposts in other places as well. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we want to come to you as people who are citizens of your kingdom. We're disciples who are following you and, and you've invited us not just to believe in a set of concepts, but actually to entrust our entire selves to you your capacity to save us, your capacity to free us, to liberate us and to model and outline for us a life that is full of hope, full of prophetic voice and invites others to find their life in you. And we want to pray that we might be that people who bring glory to you and that we might do that here and that we might do that in partnership with others elsewhere. For your glory we pray. Amen.